for the first split sermon, we're going to have Mr. Ron Wilhoit, and he's going to speak on He Shall Make It Good. Good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see each one of you today. Sometimes Reg Nolan walks in looking like he's in really deep thought. He's a deep thinker. He's a, he's a knowledge bank, an encyclopedia, and he's always free to share with you. Just ask. But today I noticed that Reg had a very kind of a unique glow about him. Just he was smiling from ear to ear, and I know why. See, doing what he does to make a living is getting shorter and shorter and shorter because he's a school teacher, okay? And so as that time gets shorter and shorter and shorter until that last day of class, he can revert back to being more of a night person, the time of the evening when his creativity is at his highest. And I remember that there was something that I liked about him the first time I met him because I met him before I had any desire to be involved in this church. And I said, you know, I could probably learn something from that man and the creativeness that flows from this night person because I was exactly the same way. But you get married as you do. You have children, as you do. I think it was Dolly Parton that had a song where she said you were working nine to five. I've never had a job that I can work nine to five. Now, 7.30-ish, seven, but never nine. It must be a bank. I don't know. But it seems as though that everything is geared toward that thing, but it doesn't matter, and I even talked to Rich about this, it doesn't matter how much making a living and working and the world will try to, to make you be a morning person, it's just not going to happen to some of us. Now, are there, is there anyone here who would say that I am definitely a morning person? What's wrong with you people? Yeah, who said that? You know, I've, I've looked, I've looked, I've got my concordance out, and I've never found that one. But you know, there is something to that. But there's kind of a natural rhythm that people kind of have, really just part of their personality and their makeup. And it was always difficult, especially those early years, from, from when I used to like to go to bed about 3 a.m., and get up about 11? Because you need your 8, right? Now you talk about early to bed, 3 a.m., that's pretty early, isn't it? <clears throat> but you know what? All of the years, all of the working, all of the raising of children, all of being married and everything like that, it's always been very difficult for me to go asleep, get to sleep, and stay asleep. Because it just seems like night after night, year after year, year after year, I do wake up about those times that I used to go to bed, 3 a.m., 2 a.m., in that sort of time frame. Bing, I'm up. 
But for many years, I used to let it just be kind of this inconvenience and this kind of frustration that I need to go back to bed because I've got to get up soon so I can be worth something in those a.m. hours to my employer. Years have gone by. Years would go by of waking up and not thinking much more about it other than that it is an inconvenience. Until one day when I really read a particular psalm that I want to read for you. A particular psalm that says this, says, I will bless the eternal, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. That's that beautiful, wonderful spirit of His that we need upon us of counsel. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel But then David continues and says that my heart also instructs me in the night seasons. So I said, okay. Probably rather being up, but yet have been asleep for a while. Those moments would happen, that time would come to where I would wake up in the night Okay, I'm here. And years would go by. It's not like I would get up out of bed like Samuel did and go to Eli and say, Yes, did you say something? But what I took from that is, is that when it kept happening and kept happening and kept happening, I would just lay there and say, I'm listening. Open my ears to hear you. I'll bless you for your counsel. Instruct me. It's the night. Nothing. Didn't mean I didn't stop. I kept on. Something about this psalm really struck me. About there's something to this. There's something to this. Or David would not have poured himself into writing that lyric for that psalm. So then what I would notice, I would get up at you know, just various and random times, and there was one morning, some time ago, that I got up and I said, well, what time is it? So I went and looked at the clock that I keep a pillow in front of so I don't see it. And it was 2.17. Now, when you look at the clock on a digital clock, you have 2 colon 17. What does that look like? What if you put Isaiah in front of it? That's when everything started to change. Steve, you know we pray about things. We beseech God hardcore at times. Time after time after time after time. Certain things that I've been praying about, certain things that I'm asking the eternal to open my mind to understand. I now get up. I go to the clock and I see what verse it is. Now when it's 2.17, okay, I'm with you. But what about when it says 3.55? I don't know what chapters in Scripture have 55 verses of chapter 3. But what about 55.3? Isaiah 55.3. 
because I noticed it was even peculiar to my wife because she would find all these bits of paper says, what are all these numbers? 217, 355, 553, just random. And so I told her. I told her what's been going on. And time after time after time, what has been on my heart and what has been on my mind in seeking God is in that. Sometimes it's not right there in that exact verse because Scripture has a context. Maybe a two up or two down in the flow of the Word of God of what I'm seeking for. And it's there. Now, Reg, I'll tell you what, if I had it my way, I'd still probably just be going to bed at the time I'm woken up to seek God through the Scriptures this way. But it has radically changed my life. And it's because I never really wanted to let go of what David said in that psalm. And I praise him and I thank him for his counsel. I bless his name for his counsel. And pray for that spirit of counsel to be upon me and that spirit of understanding and that spirit of wisdom. Well, the 55th minute of an early hour is what I call Isaiah 55. The 55th minute of an early hour, and I was looking at it this morning because you know what? Early this morning it happened again. And I said, fantastic, that's what I've got in my notes. Isaiah 55. What it says in the midst of Isaiah 55 is amazing, for it says that my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, saith the eternal. But then he says something most amazing when we can step back and look at it for us. The heavens are higher than the earth. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So really you could almost kind of be a little frustrated of saying, God, you've let me know that my thoughts and your thoughts are way apart from each other. And you've let me know in your word that my ways and your ways and your thoughts and my thoughts are so far apart. What can I do? Because I want to bless your name for your counsel. See, sometimes aspects of scripture can just kind of be pulled out situationally. And this happens with this one when a circumstance or a situation happens in someone's life. We can say, well, his thoughts aren't our thoughts, and we just drop it. Or if someone's selling a particular product, if something's going on that we see something is deficient, well, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, and it's just dropped with no explanation. But what is so incredibly beautiful about this part of Isaiah when he says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. But look at verse 10 of Isaiah 55. Look at verse 10 of Isaiah 55. It's like, I'm not going to leave it there. It's true. <laughs> I stand before him, <clears throat> reach up for him, asking, petitioning, crying out, and it is true that his ways and my ways are that far apart. But this is the most incredible two verses that I think you'll find if you'll just really 
meditate and concentrate on what he's saying. But for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give. That it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. But now notice verse 11. Just as that happens, okay? Just as though there is this separation in thought and separation in way, just as that, we have this beautiful thing called rain. Beautiful, wonderful rain. Beautiful, wonderful snow that has a purpose. He says, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It's going to be just like that. Every one of us know what it's like to witness rain and to smell that wonderful smell after a beautiful rain, how everything looks. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. So in your notes, whether they're in your mind or whether they're in your hands or whether <clears throat> you can file this away, this brings up a thought after reading this. What is it that pleases God? Now you've got some thoughts on that, don't you? What is it that pleases God? You have to finish that thought with, it will be accomplished. What pleases God, it will be accomplished. See, there's another question that says, what does God want his word to accomplish? What is it? What is it that God wants his word to accomplish? Now, in this room... The scriptural knowledge base is quite high. People in this room have spent decades devoted to God's Word, where God's Word is the number one thing in their lives. Meditating upon God's Word and acting upon what it tells them to do. So here's just a little quiz. It's not a real hard one. What is the first occurrence of God saying something in Scripture. God said, let there be light. God said, let there be light. Scripture says, and there was light. So see, that's a wonderful example of His Word went forth and it accomplished. Okay? And he saw that light, and he saw it was good. That is Isaiah 55, 11, in an amazing grand scale. And the evening and the morning, right? It goes on, and the evening and the morning. And the evening and the morning until what happened? Scripture says that the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them, and what? He ceased. He ceased, 
He blessed and he sanctified. Now this is something that you really need to think about. When he did that, because I've thought about this for years, <clears throat> what could have been the words of that very first Sabbath? What words went forth from him on that very first Sabbath? Isaiah declares that the heaven is my throne as being, thus saith the Lord God Almighty. The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. But are you still thinking about what it is that pleases God? What is it that pleases God? Let's look at Isaiah 66 and verse 2. The verse right before 66.2, of course, 66.1 is where it says, Thus saith the Most High God, The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. But in verse 2 it says, For all those things hath mine hand made. And all those things have been, saith the Eternal, but to this man will I look. Of all that he's made, of all that he spoke, all that went forth from his mouth that was accomplished, of all of that, to step back and for him, in his majesty and almighty, to say, you know, this heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, but, okay, it's expansive to where you'll never understand it all. It's there as a witness. But look at what he says. It's just this massive scale of what he's done, but then he says, you know what I look to? You know what I look to? But to this man will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. I think that there has possibly been this undercurrent at work that would seek to not have you fear God's word to where we could kind of step away from reverence and adoration and fear of God Almighty to this kind of casualness. Oh, I know what Scripture says. You know, God's loving. He does. That's really not what He meant. Is that really kind of what He meant? And game playing with the express Word of God. But when you're asking the question, what is it? that pleases God and what is it that he wants his word to do when he says something like this he says to this man will I look him that is poor and of a contrite spirit trembles at my very word it's that valuable it's that important because the poor and the contrite in spirit realize that it's the very life essence, if they are to have it, is what will be derived from the word that went forth from his mouth that will accomplish what pleases him. And it will prosper to wherever he has sent it. Well, what does God want his word to accomplish in part 
I think is in part answered, answered quite profoundly today. Not today just being the Sabbath in observation of the Sabbath and, and calling the Sabbath a delight, but this Sabbath is a special Sabbath because, because it's in an expanse and period of time in which what are we doing on this Sabbath? We're counting. We're numbering from when we began during the days of unleavened bread. We had seven days of unleavened bread that we finished, but in the midst of that days, those days we said, okay, we're going to begin another count. Now are we counting just to count to get it over with? What's the lesson? What could possibly be the lesson to begin unleavened and then begin this numbering, this counting? Let's look at Psalm 90 and verse 12. What is it that pleases God? What is it that God wants his word to accomplish? Here in this prayer, these words of Moses, as we are counting, and really in a, an, incredible, an incredible time for each of us as we look back at Israel in this preparation in their counting, in this preparation, in their numbering, in that journey, this process, this process of preparation to encounter God. But Moses says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So we count and we number unto encountering God in a much higher dimension, a much higher, more fuller, more intimate way that we can. And we look at Moses. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. But as David can do, I want to read just a bit of another psalm where David beautifully augments what Moses says in a way that really only he can do. Because I think that the words of Moses, these words and the memory of Moses, and the importance of Moses in David's very life had a very profound impact upon him when he can write it this way. He says, Eternal, make me to know my end. That seems unnatural, doesn't it? Let me know when it's going to be all over. I mean, most people don't want to have any, I don't want an idea. There's still too much things to do. Still much, too much fun to go have. There's too many things I can go apply my heart to do that my heart wants to do. I'm not ready yet. But in the words of Moses, and in the words of David, and in these days of which we are numbering to encounter God, David says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail that I am. Who wants to admit that they're frail? It's the one that God looks to, right? It's the poor 
and contrite in spirit. Indeed, you have made my days as hand breaths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best state is but vapor. And I've got a good visual on that, these new e-cigarettes. Someone takes a big hit of that, that vapor is just soon gone. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them, but I love this part here. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Applying our hearts. If you've lived enough, you can look back and go, man, I sure applied a lot of myself for what turned out to be absolutely ridiculous and nothing and got worn out while doing it. Applying our hearts to things that are vain. Applying our hearts to things that will come to nothing. But even with Moses and even with David. Teach us, see? That goes back to that night seasons. I don't think it's something natural. I know it surely wasn't anything natural for me to go, God help me to know when this man is done. That's it. I'm vapor, guys. I'm vapor. We're all vapor. Every one of us is vapor. But we hope in God, don't we? We hope in God. We place everything that we have upon what he says is that there is an accomplishment that will be made by the word that has gone out of his mouth. Let's look at Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. So teach us to apply our hearts to wisdom. You've got revelation and you've got experience. Sometimes experience will grate the flesh off your knuckles when you just got to do it your way and the hard way. You have revelation and you have experience. If we're seeking God for him to teach us to number our days, that we can apply our hearts unto wisdom. Look at Deuteronomy 29, 29. <clears throat> There's really about seven or eight split sermons contained in this verse, at least. Could be more if this is what you put upon your heart to pray about and wake up. I don't know how you're going to wake up at 29, 29 now. But there is a context of verses. The secret things belong unto the eternal our God. But those things which are revealed, those things which are revealed, belong unto us and to our children for how long? Ad olam, forever, toward forever, forever. 
belongs to you. It's been revealed because it's gone forth from his mouth. And it will accomplish something. The thing is, is do you want to be a part of what he has set out to accomplish in your life? The secret things belong unto the eternal our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may what we may do. That's what's so unique about that word applying. Whether you're applying for a job, whether you're applying a fourth coat of paint to the house, how much of that gets done by doing this? sure ought to get to that. I'll look at it next week. Come back a month later. That's looking worse. I need to apply. It means I've got to do it. And I hate to say this because somebody might not like it. Sometimes it's going to require you to work. Because I'll tell you, years after year after year of waking up and not knowing why and having frustration to then one day surrender all of that, say, I'm obviously hitting my head against the wall because you tell me that you will instruct and you will teach me with your counsel in the night season. So, let's do it. But really, it's not that complicated, is it? If you apply your hearts unto wisdom, how are we going to be taught to number our days unless we apply our hearts to do everything that has come forth from his mouth that is his pleasure and will ultimately be the accomplishment of what he has in store for each one of us? Let me know what you think about this. Applying our hearts unto wisdom and doing all the words of his Torah instruction to accomplish that which pleases him in every one of our lives. It really could not get any greater than that. The ultimate intimate experience with your creator and your maker. Well, I've got about another hour's worth. <clears throat> when we think about Israel, from the time of Joseph, Joseph was put in prison. And through the favor of God, he was released, and then he achieved an incredible position, allowing his family to come to him. But you know, there was another expanse of time between what I would call favor that Pharaoh had with Joseph and Joseph's family. There was a time of favor that ran out, that it went from favor of tending the herds and the flocks in Goshen to where now you're going to make bricks and that's all you're going to do. 
And I think of that when that changed. There had to have come a generation. There had to have come someone born into that that may have heard, you know, it used to not always be like this. But you've got a job to do. How many of those early generations, day in and day out, anticipated the redemption? That they would die. Another generation will be born. And they would think and pray. Maybe in my lifetime, we will be delivered from this. To where enough time can go by that everyone would wake up and redemption would not even be on their mind. Because it's task at hand. I don't have any time to think about God's redemption when I'm making these bricks. But it's so incredible to read that even through all of that, through all of that, that the firstborn son, Israel, went through. Scripture says that God heard the groaning. After all that groaning, he heard that groaning. And he remembered his word. He remembered his covenant unto Abraham. And the time had come to be redeemed. Like we looked at on the first day of unleavened bread, when you take a look at Exodus 13, the four times it's conveyed about his strong arm of deliverance. Therefore, no unleavened bread is going to be eaten because we have to stand still and see the salvation of God. But after that, the history at the sea to the mount, there's something that Israel said. That's quite profound, that we have got to get our hearts wrapped around. Because what I want to read gets lost. It gets lost in murmurings. It gets lost in complaining. It gets lost in this whole notion to have a golden calf and say, we'll have a feast for the eternal with this. Not long after they were redeemed and delivered by the strong hand. But at the mount, at that time, through that counting, through that numbering, Moses came and told all the words. Moses came and told the people all of the words. Moses came and told the people all the words at the Lord and at all of the judgments. And your Bible says, and all the people answered with one voice. All the words which the Lord hath said we will do. But what got in the way? All of the words that he hath said we will do. And it is an incredible story of Israel. Miriam, Aaron, Moses died. Joshua died. Samuel died. David, Solomon died. Northern tribes of Israel, the house of Israel, gone. The kingdom of Judah. Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, the Greeks, Rome, gone. Now Israel, the state of Israel, is 66 years old. The state of Israel. What is it that God wants to accomplish? 
What is it that God wants his word to accomplish? Well, I want us to be inspired as we count. I want us to be excited and inspired as we number, as we ask God to teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom and that when we receive instruction from God Almighty, we with a willing heart apply our heart to do it all. It's what you call the whole tithe concept. Eh, do I need to... I've eh, uh, got some things coming up. I'll give him a little bit. I can only do 10% this month. I've got all these expenses, see? Might as well keep it. Out of the abundance of the heart. We praise God above all things. We seek God above all things. He has counsel. He has wisdom. He has understanding. And he has power. But as I close, I want to close by answering what does God want his word to accomplish? Of course, it's in Isaiah. Isaiah has been my Bible answer man now for some time. Because all of these various times that I see on the clock and I look at Scripture, I'm finding it there. I even went so bold as to tell my wife, I think every answer, every answer to every conceivable question or inconceivable question, every answer, can be found in Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 2, verse 2. When you think about what pleases God, when you think about what does God want His Word to accomplish, and it shall come to pass in Isaiah verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Almighty's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come you and let us go up to the mountain to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now see, thinking back of Deuteronomy 29, 29, those things have been revealed and they're for us for how long? Forever. That we may do them. All right, I'll close with the verse accompanying the title. Kind of been all over the place a little bit. And I don't know. I just don't know what all God wants and has in store for us. I don't think Glorious even can contain it. I don't think we yet have a word developed that's going to even remotely come close to explaining when God is 
full of his pleasure. And he sees the accomplishment of his word that has gone forth from his mouth. Numbers 23, 19. We're going to close by going back to the wilderness. When the spies came back and said, we can't do it. Can't do it, they're bigger than we are. Like grasshoppers to them. And it crushes you, brought us out here for this. Now it took some adjustment. Turn around. During that time, notice this verse. When you're up against some things, when you're kind of scratching your head and going, how in the world am I getting out of this? First off, you have to say, Eternal Father, my hope is in you. I'm waiting upon you to deliver me from this. Teach me to number my days that I can apply my heart to wisdom and get myself out of the equation. But it's just like applying that fourth coat of paint to the house. I can't do it like this. Like Lawrence has said for years at the river. Stop crying out to me. Tell him to go forward. Go forward in his mighty name. Go forward in the revealed word that he has given each one of us that will be ours forever. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. That's pretty profound just in itself right there, you know. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? He has spoken, and he shall make it good. So let's continue to count. Let's continue to number. During the Feast of Weeks, and to that time, completion of seven Sabbaths, let's continue to count, continue to number our days, but also pray that the Most High will teach us to number our days that we can apply our hearts to wisdom.